Thanks, Nick, for the reading this morning. Uh, as stated earlier, if you are visiting with us, we are grateful that you are here. Tommy, our pulpit minister, he is in uh, Searcy, Arkansas, at the lectureships this weekend, and so uh, I am filling in for him. And when Tommy had asked me to preach this weekend uh, while he was at Harding, I told him yes, but I said it's going to coincide with our student ministry retreat that we have that weekend, and I'm going to be teaching part four of our lesson series that I started with the middle schoolers and high schoolers. I got to say, this is the biggest audience I've ever had for a middle school and high school retreat. Thank you guys for being here. So rather than moving on without catching, you know, 98% of the audience, as though you've been here all weekend, I'm going to give you a quick recap of what we've been discussing Friday, Saturday morning, Saturday night, and then continuing into this morning. Our topic has been frequency, tuning in to the voice that matters. Friday night, we spent some time talking about the still, small voice of God. That when Elijah was looking for it, he didn't find it in the wind. He didn't find it in the earthquake. He didn't find it in the fire, but he found it in the whisper. And sometimes there's distractions in our life that take us away from being able to hear that still, small voice. And as people who follow Jesus, who are followers of God, we have to do our best to push those aside so that we can hear God in the noise of life. It's not so much about the volume of God's voice, but rather it's tuning our hearts to have the same frequency as His. Because a whisper on the surface can seem weak, but it can have tremendous power when it comes from the right voice. God doesn't need to speak loudly if our desires line up with His. It's less about the volume of His voice and more about the frequency of our hearts. Saturday morning, we spent time emphasizing that God does, in fact, speak to us. And for every believer, He speaks to us in three different ways. He speaks to us through people who are also followers of Jesus, that He uses people around us to communicate His truths to us, things that we need to hear, and to find somebody that you can lean on, that you trust for them to communicate God's messages to you. God communicates to us through His Spirit that indwells in us. And God communicates to us through the Holy Scriptures. And all three of those avenues, they serve different purposes, or they're different ways of God communicating, all for the purpose of us growing closer to Him and learning to be more mature followers of Jesus. And then Saturday night, we talked about there's times God is going to seem and he just may be silent. What do you do when you don't hear the still, small voice of God? What do you do when you don't feel God is around, or things in your life aren't going the way that you had planned, or the way that you had hoped, and all you hear... Oh, this might... They're both on. All right. Is it super loud? Do I need to have a still, small voice? Okay. There's times that he is silent, and what do we do... In those moments? Does it mean that God doesn't care about us? Does it mean that He no longer loves us? Does it mean that He doesn't want what's best for us? No. But it's easy for us to jump to those conclusions when we feel like He is absent. God is always on our side. If He wasn't on our, 
if he's going to be on our side when we were still sinners and he died for us, he's going to be our, on our side when he calls us his children and continue to be. But silence is difficult. It's hard to know what to do with that. This morning, it's about knowing his voice. My sheep know my voice. They listen to me and they follow. If you had to come up with a new mascot for maybe a school that you were starting or something, what kind of mascot would you choose? I had the privilege of being part of this process when I was in high school. Uh, or actually middle school. They were building a new middle school and a new high school, and they would give us options to go ahead and pick a new mascot, which is a pretty cool thing to do because you know that that's going to live on for the length of that school. Um, and so we went through the process. We got to vote. We became the Andover Central Jaguars. I don't think that's the one I voted for, but that's okay. Every vote counts, I guess. But what kind of mascot would you pick if you got to be part of a process like that? My guess is, is that nobody here is thinking that they would choose a sheep. No one here is thinking, I want my school to be the lamb. Why? I don't blame you. A mascot's meant to be intimidating. A mascot is meant to intimidate the opponents, and to motivate you to action. And well, let's just say, sheep don't quite communicate that. And after doing a quick internet search, I didn't find any schools with sheep as their mascot. The closest that I got to would be a ram, which I guess technically is a sheep, which I didn't know. Uh, call me dumb. That's fine. All right. Which I, di I didn't know. But there are no schools with, where sheep are the mascot. Yet when God said, I want to choose a mascot for my people, I want them to emulate this one thing, he chose the sheep. Why is that? You see, because the focus of a sheep's life, it's eating grass, it's grazing. They graze with their heads down, only glancing up occasionally to confirm that they're still with the flock. However, sometimes the sheep get so fixated on grazing that it'll take them away from the other sheep until they're completely lost and defenseless. Why did God choose the sheep as the mascot? I think because ultimately, the sheep is unable to rely on itself in any way, shape, or form. That a sheep has to be led. It has to be provided for. It has to be protected. Sheep need a shepherd that will provide and protect them. In the scripture that Nicholas read for us, Jesus gives a pretty good definition of the relationship that the shepherd is going to have with the sheep. It's kind of a cliff notes version of what he says in all through John chapter 10 uh, and what his desire for sheep are. But in the verse he read, it gives the nature of their relationship. Let's hear it again. He says, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. For I and the Father are one. You see, he desires for his sheep to listen 
to his voice. He desires for his sheep to be known by him. He desires for his sheep to choose to follow him. The sheep aren't just listening and then doing whatever it is that they want because that's what a goat would do. For a goat thinks that he knows better than the shepherd. You see, in biblical times, listening is synonymous with doing, with obeying. In our culture, we focus so much just on this mental activity. It's the thought that counts. How many of you have gotten a gift and you think, well, it's the thought that counts? But biblical cultures were oriented different, that listening meant that you were doing something about it. Many verbs that we consider mental activities, hearing, knowing, remembering, they're broadened to include their physical outcomes as well. An example of this is the Shema. That has the primary meaning of hear or listen. And in the Bible, the word Shema is widely used to describe hearing, but also its outcomes, understanding, taking heed, being obedient, doing what is asked. In Deuteronomy, he says, Hear, O Israel. This is the Shema. Hear, O Israel. The Lord our God, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And by saying this, a Jewish person was saying to himself, take heed, listen, obey, love God with all of your life. And it was a daily commitment that they would make for themselves to follow God and do His will. Listening meant not just hearing, but it meant obeying. It would be kind of like if your mom told you to clean your room or do the dishes. Remember, you guys are all middle school and high schools right now. (laughs) How would your mom know that you listened? Would it suffice for your mom if you said, I heard you, I just didn't feel like doing it? Would it suffice if you said, I heard you, I just forgot and I didn't go. You see, there's a difference between hearing and listening. And as James would say, listening is not just being hearers of the word, but it is also being doers of the word. And the scripture that Nick read, I have two questions that come up with that because we talk about hearing God's voice, but the question that comes is why do I want to follow? In other words, why is it that I would want to listen to the shepherd? It's right in that verse. It's because the shepherd, he doesn't just protect for this age, but also for the age to come. Because he isn't just acting on his own behalf, but he's acting on behalf of the Father, for he and the Father are one. In John chapter 10, verse 10, what do we find? Jesus is the good shepherd. Why do I want to follow him? Because he provides life. John 10.10, the thief comes only to steal and to kill and to destroy. I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. The thief comes to take away. He comes to destroy. But Jesus has come to provide the abundant life. And this word abundant, it means exceedingly. It means very highly, beyond measure, more superfluous, a quantity that is so abundant as to be considerably more than what I could ask or imagine or ever anticipate. The abundant life is what Jesus came to provide for us. 
Why do I want to follow? Why do I want to listen? Because it leads to abundant life. And I think this is where great confusion occurs. Or at least it does in my life. Because Jesus and I have very different opinions and definitions about what the abundant life looks like. Way too often, his picture of abundant life is different than mine because my definition of abundant life is always about me. The abundant life is always about my circumstances and where I find myself right now. And are things going well or are they not going well? The things that are out of my control, are they in my favor or are they against me? The definition of abundant life for me is about my belongings and my possessions. Am I accumulating exactly what I want and everything that I need, not just for today, but for tomorrow and forevermore? My definition of abundant life is my future. What does it look like? Where am I going? What does it mean to be a follower of his. My definition of abundant life is healthy relationships. Are things going well with my kids and with my wife and with church people and school and family? And it goes on and on and on. And those are all good things. My definition of abundant life is about my health. Guess what? For the last, you guys laugh. Somebody laughed. For the last seven months, I feel like I have not lived the abundant life because I can't run. But Jesus' definition is so much more than that. There are parts and pieces of that that apply to that. But Jesus' definition of abundant life, it's not all about me. It's about him and what he has accomplished on the cross. For For while he was still on the cross, this is how Jesus defined eternal life. In John chapter 17, verse 3, he says this, And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. This is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. While he was on the cross, those were the very words that Jesus spoke. The abundant life is not about me and those things that I define it by. The abundant life is knowing God through Jesus Christ. And when he says, I have come to make sure that they have life and have it abundantly, that was first and foremost on Jesus' mind. I'm going to let God be known to them. I'm going to let God be known to them in a way that they understand what it is that God thinks about them. That they understand the lengths that God is going to go through for them, through me. The abundant life is the life that we are provided with grace that overcomes sin. The abundant life is about us constantly not living up to God's expectations, to constantly falling short of what it is that God has called us to do. Yet God's grace abounds all the more because Jesus came and he gives grace upon grace upon grace. The abundant life is allowing that grace to cover us each and every time. You see, Jesus' definition of abundant life doesn't rely on me. It completely relies on him, and that's where the abundance comes from. Because I can't do that for myself. You can't do that for yourself. When Jesus says, I have come so that they might have life and have it to the full, have it abundantly, I think of Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. 
He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters, and He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for His name's sake. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod, your staff, they comfort me, and you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies, and you anoint my head with oil, and my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all of the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Every time that psalm comes up, I think, I don't need to read all that. I'm just going to pick a couple pieces from it, but it doesn't encompass everything that is the good shepherd if I do that. And I was watching some of you guys as I was reading that. Some of your eyes were closed. I'm assuming it's because you were ruminating on the scripture and not because your heads were nodding. Why? Because it is such a beautiful picture of what the shepherd is for us and what the abundant life looks like where Jesus gives me exactly what I need, not for tomorrow, not for the next day, not for the following week, but he gives me what I need for today. You see, the abundant life relies on a shepherd that knows what is best for his sheep. Scripture says, I know my sheep. In other words, when he leads us, he leads us in a way that takes us exactly where we need to go just at the right time with the right words to go along with it. That it's an individualized plan for each of us as we follow Jesus, as we grow closer to Him. I believe that Jesus communicates to us and He leads us in a way that we can understand because He knows exactly who we are and what it is that we need. Jesus knows what is best for us. Why do I want to follow the shepherd. Why do I want to hear and obey? In John chapter 10, verse 11 through 13, Jesus protects. I am the good shepherd, and the shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming, and he leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them, He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. He doesn't just protect from the thieves. He also protects from the wolves and he sticks around when he knows that we as his sheep are in danger. He did it when we were dead in our trespasses, in our sins. Jesus gave himself up for us. He puts himself in harm's way leading to death. Why? Because he cares for his sheep. He doesn't just know us, but when he knows everything about me and he knows everything about you, I don't know what your assumption is, but my assumption is he shouldn't love me as much as he does because I'm pretty crummy on the inside sometimes. And I just don't deserve it. But it says that he knows me, cares for me, and then three times, you guys can talk about in class, three times through those verses, he says, I lay down my life for my sheep. The good, shepherd's lay, the good shepherd lays down his life only to take it up again. And no one takes it from him, but he lays it down on his, on his own accord. Why do I choose to follow? Why do I choose to leave the sheep pen? 
because he cares for me. He protects me and he provides. But the question for us is, that's all good and well. We want to be able to do that. We want to get there where we're following the shepherd. But how do I distinguish his voice from all the other voices that are going on in my life? Because there are voices that compete for our attention, that compete for our time, that compete for our families over and over and over again. And how do I know if I'm listening to the voice of Jesus, the good shepherd, or if I'm listening to another voice that seeks to destroy and to deceive? Let's be honest. Hearing God's voice isn't going to matter if his voice is unfamiliar to me. Hearing God's voice isn't going to matter if it is unfamiliar to me. There's this uh, story in this article. Uh, Steve was having a difficult work day. A stranger had just called out of the blue, and Steve picked up the phone, and the stranger was barking orders at him. This had happened several times over the last few weeks, and Steve was just confused. Why did this person think that he could boss Steve around? Just as he had the previous times, Steve hung up on the man, and he went back to work. Steve's co-worker looked at him. He seemed shocked. He said, you recognize his voice, don't you? No, said Steve. It had been their boss. Steve didn't understand. How was he supposed to know who was talking to him on the other end of the phone when he couldn't see them? This was the first time that Steve had discovered he had voice blindness. I'm going to skip the medical term, but it's in the, in the article. That he had voice blindness. In other words, if he couldn't see them, all voices sound the same. He could distinguish between male and female, but other than that, the tones were the same. Um, Steve, his whole life, had just assumed that it was impossible to tell one voice from another. Sure, he could distinguish between male and female, and he could tell if someone was happy, mad, or sarcastic, but while everyone else seemed to always recognize him by his voice, he could never recognize others without seeing them. And after discovering his voice blindness, Steve didn't think it would affect his life in any significant way. When someone called, he simply played along as if he knew the person on the other end of the phone until they said something that identified themselves. <coughs> then one day, his wife called. Then one day, someone who he thought was his wife called, and he began to turn on his charm and flirt with her over the phone until he realized he was speaking to a stranger. Now, after that embarrassing incident, he always asks people to identify themselves before speaking to him on the phone. If we don't know what Jesus' voice sounds like, if it's unfamiliar to us, it makes it extremely difficult for us to be able to follow it. I mean, think about, uh, think about the Jews who gathered at the Feast of Dedication and asked Jesus to plainly tell them if he is the Christ. What's Jesus' response? I did tell you. I've been telling you. And you did not believe. They literally had Jesus in front of them. The voice of God in their face. Jesus within their midst. And they did not believe because they did not recognize the voice. Because they were unable to see through their pride. John chapter 10, verse 1 through 6. If you guys want to turn there because it's a little longer, you can. I tell you the truth, the man who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate, 
but climbs in by some other way is a thief and a robber. The man who enters by the gate is the shepherd of his sheep. The watchman opened his gate for him, and the sheep listened to his voice. He calls out his own sheep by name, and he leads them out. And when he has brought them all out, when he has brought them, excuse me, when he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. What is it that Jesus has, what does he have in mind? What is pictured here? They would have all the sheep in the same, that lived in that area, they would have them all in the same pen, regardless of which flock they belonged to. Um, and so there was multiple flocks within the gate, and as their shepherd enters the gate and calls for that sheep, for their sheep, only those sheep would exit the pen. The others would stay. Um, there's this guy, his name's uh, Ray Vanderland, and he explained that he was uh, over um, in the... I can't remember where he was, so I'm just not going to say it, so I'm not wrong. Okay? But he was over where they take care of sheep. All right? And he says, there was 500 sheep, and we had all these tourists around, and they were all yelling for the sheep to do something or to call them over, and the sheep just stood there, and they did nothing. And then he said, what we saw was the local shepherds come, and these 500 sheep, as they would start doing their call, they just started migrating toward that shepherd. He said it was incredible because 500 sheep, they didn't know, you know, the shepherds would look, they knew which ones were theirs. How do the sheep know which shepherd is theirs? They listened to their voice, and all 500 would just disperse and go with the shepherd, and the shepherd led them. How do I distinguish his voice from all others? I want to listen, I want to obey, but how do I know that it is truly him? I think one... We spend time with the shepherd. I don't think there's any substitute for getting around that. We have to spend time with the shepherd to get to know what the sounds of his voice are. It's so easy to get busy and to just push that time that we have set aside, push it away and just say, I'll get to it tomorrow. But how can I know the shepherd's voice if I'm not willing to spend time listening to him? Uh, we have four kids, um, and we've been around them long enough, I think their whole lives, um, but we've been around them long enough that if they are upstairs and one of them begins to cry or one of them begins to yell, you know exactly which one that it is. No words have to be spoken, it's just the cry or the scream, and you go, well, we need to intervene, or sometimes the scream is, oh, she's hurt, but she's not that hurt, it'll be okay, or sometimes it's... She's in real pain. We need to go up now and deal with it. You know exactly which of your children yell and scream and say, why? Because you're familiar with their voice. You're familiar with the tones. You're familiar with them as individuals, and you're able to distinguish them from one another. In order for us to know the shepherd's voice, we have to spend time with the shepherd. And I know it's the first grade answer, but it's the answer for everything. Read your Bible. Spend time in prayer. Spend time in spiritual disciplines and allow yourself to be transformed by God. Not because I have to, but because I want to. 
And when you hear the voice of the shepherd, how do I distinguish it if it's his or somebody else? Does it confirm with what is written in Scripture? When I hear something, when something is told, when I'm convicted, whatever it may be, does it line up with what he put here in the Bible? Does it confirm Scripture to be true? And if the answer is no, then move on and get that voice out of your life. If the answer is yes, then discern and take some time and look at that and ask yourself, is it the shepherd that is speaking to me? When you hear something, if you are having trouble to distinguish if it's the good shepherd or if it's something else, bring it to the attention of a mentor. Lay it down at their feet as well and say, here's what I'm hearing, here's what I'm thinking, here's where I'm at, and allow them to speak truth into your life because there are individuals in this room who have spent more time following God than you have been alive. And so when you hear something and you're wondering, let somebody else weigh in on it prayerfully with you so that you can distinguish between the two. One of the questions I ask myself if I'm wondering if I'm hearing God or something else, uh, am I being led to what I want or am I being led to what I need? And when I'm able to separate those two, I get a deep, pretty good idea of if it's God or if it's something else because I can deceive myself with the best of them. And a lot of times I think Jesus wants to lead me to exactly what I want. But he doesn't do that. He leads us to exactly what we need. If I am hearing God's voice, is he leading me to what I want or to what I need? If it's God, I believe it is always to what you need. It becomes a lot easier for us to distinguish harmful voices when I'm tuned in to the shepherd's voice. To distinguish harmful voices when I'm tuned in to the shepherd's voice. I saw this this morning. That's why I paused a little bit because uh, I added it right before. Uh, I saw it on uh, social media, uh, and it said this. It says that God's voice is one that stills you. God's voice is one that encourages you. God's voice is one that comforts you, that calms you, that convicts you. The harmful voices are ones that rush you, push you, frighten you, confuse you, discourage you, worry you, condemn you to the point where you don't think that you can come back to God at any point and you are outside of his reach. We have to be able to listen to God's voice and distinguish, is it harmful or is it helpful? Is it coming from God or somebody else? And it becomes a whole lot easier for us to distinguish when we spend time with the shepherd and when we start cutting off other voices that have a loud, um, that take up a lot of our headspace, and being able to tune those out and say, I can't control totally what they say, but I can control how I react to them. And maybe it's some of those voices that you bring into your life through your phones or, or through work, whatever it may be, and you say, I can't be a part of that right now because I'm trying to listen to the shepherd, and you are making it nearly impossible. So if I believe that Jesus is the good shepherd, and if I hear him, then I must choose to follow him. Did you catch how Jesus led? He does so in front. And I think sometimes we get this 
wrong because I think we have this idea that the shepherd, and I think it comes because we've seen like sheep herding dogs, that the shepherd is behind with his staff and he's hitting us into submission and he's running all over the place trying to get us to where we need to go and do this and do that. But the truth is, is that when Jesus leads, he leads ahead of us. Because those leading from the back, they motivate with threats of punishment, with fear. Those leading from the front send a message that I'm willing to get into the mess with you and demonstrate what you need to do in order to follow in my footsteps. How can Jesus protect the sheep? Because he's leading them in the path and he can see everything that comes his way. He's already blazed the trail for us. He's led in that way. And he continually protects us. He leads from the, fo- from the front. The point of Jesus' parable, and we're almost done, the point of Jesus' parable is pretty simple. Sheep need a shepherd. We are sheep. We have a good shepherd. Know his voice. Follow it. Listening takes a lifetime of practice. Young people, start now. Those more seasoned, there's a temptation to think that we have heard it all and we know it all. Listen to his voice with the expectation that he will bring about something new. Seasoned people, share your past listening experiences with those who are younger. There's nothing greater than being able to sit at the feet of others and hear how Jesus has shepherded you personally in your walk with him. Why? Because I know you, I see you, and when you say, here's how God has worked in my life, that encourages me to know God could also work in my life that way. Let other people know how God has shepherded you, especially those who are younger. The question for us becomes this, and this is the question that I'll leave you with. Do you trust that the good shepherd can lead you better than you can lead yourself? It's as simple as that. Can you do a better job than the one who created you? I don't think there's a whole lot of wiggle room there for the answer, but the way that we act often communicates, yes, I think I can do a better job. But God knows us, and he knows exactly what it is that we need. Oftentimes, I don't think that he can lead me better, which is why through the waters of baptism, I've given my life to Christ. I've asked his spirit to dwell within me and to lead me through life, to help me lead my family. And if you find yourself wanting to trust the good shepherd with your life, if you've heard the still small voice of Jesus communicating to you and calling you to be one of his children, and you would like nothing more than to be a sheep of his pen so that he can lead you as well, and you would like to put him on in waters of baptism, we would love nothing more than that. And I've had questions off and on of, hey, do we have to come right after we sing? Can we come anytime? Where's the baptistry? We'll answer all of those questions super easily. You just come and talk to us. You can come anytime. Why? Because he has sheep that are not of this pen. And he's calling them to become a part. So if you've heard that this morning, if that's something that you are wanting to do, we urge you to come as we stand and as we sing. When the night is full.